Welcome back to the AMPS podcast. My name's Owen Peters. And I'm Owen Shirley. And in this episode, we are introducing a conversation between AMPS council member Martin Harris and Peter Albrechtson, who's one of the world's leading sound designers and has earned the right to work on a lot of cool stuff. Yeah, Peter was our first ever guest on the AMPS podcast years ago, so it's really great to have him back again to talk about his latest film. Take it away, Martin. Hello, and welcome to Sounds of Terror. I'm sorry I couldn't resist that. I'm Martin Harris, and I'm lucky enough to be talking to Peter Albrechtson today. He's a sound designer who's worked on many feature films and documentaries, and we're going to be particularly talking about his work on Evil Dead Rise, which is the latest in the Evil Dead franchise. Peter is an AMPS member who's been nominated for the AMPS Factual Award in 2020 for The Cave, which is a chilling documentary with some fabulous sound leading you through the narrative. Peter, how did you first get interested in working in sound? I think it actually came very much from my father. He was really like obsessed with classical music and especially modern classical music. Um, so... Growing up, I heard a lot of like Philip Glass and Morton Feldman and Stockhausen and Shostakovich and like a lot of composers who, in a way, when they compose, they compose music, but they also compose sound. And I think that whole mindset that I very much like also when I now approach sound design is this idea of melting sound and music together. And I think it really came from that. And then, um, what, I mean, as soon as I was able to turn on a TV, I was also just like watching movies all the time. And when I got to the European Film College in, back in 95, that's a kind of a pre-film school, which is quite international, actually. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of where I had this revelation that I, by doing sound for movies, I could com combine all the things I loved about sound and music and bring them into the world of movies. Do you think that this musical ear is important in sound design and sound work? I, I almost think it's the most important thing, actually. I feel like the more musical sound is, the more it connects with the viewer, with the audience, the more emotional it gets. So I work a lot with like the whole kind of musical texture of sound design. And no matter what kind of movie I'm doing, I'm trying to think of sound in a musical way. And you can do that if you do a very quiet, subtle film. You can also do that if you do a very loud massively sounding film. Um, I think that whole um, idea of like our, our, our ears are so attuned to music in a way, it's a very universal language and it hits us on a, on a very subconscious level. And I think sound does the same and the, the sound is music, music is sound, but, I really see it as the more like rhythmically, textually, uh, tonally that I approach sound, the more I feel the sound. How do you define the term sound design? 
for me, the idea of sound design really comes from the the gurus of the 1970s in the U.S., uh, Walter Murch and Ben Bird, who had this idea that as a sound designer, like this, the the sound of a movie is not something you figure out in post-production. It's something you start working on already during the script stage. And I think that is, for me, very fundamental in the approach to sound and my approach to sound. Um, and I try to be part of, part of projects very, very early. And the reason for me calling myself a sound designer is very much because I've kind of feel like I'm at least trying to build on the, the foundation of what Walter Merch, Alan Split, uh, Gary Rydstrom, Ben Bird started doing in the 70s and 80s in California. Yes, they were phenomenal. You say you want you need to get involved very early on in the process. How early is very early on? I like to be part of the process already during the script stage so that I start talking with the director about ideas for the sound during the script writing because I feel that that's the place where the first ideas of sound are, are built, are made, are created and... I feel that, for example, the way that an actor is acting is often very dependent on the sounds that surround the actor. So I feel that the more that you can kind of like create a foundation of sound already during the script, I think that is incredibly helpful for everything that comes after. My experience is that the more aware that you can make the actor of of the sounds that will surround the actor. I mean, of course, the actor doesn't hear these sounds on the set. So, like, just making an awareness of that is both very helpful for the actor, but also um, very helpful for everyone on the set. Um, Often it's actually easier to put on sound afterwards because there's room for sound. The sound has been thought into how the scenes were structured and directed. And um, now we're here today to also talk about Evil Dead Rise. And when I read that script by the Irish director and scriptwriter Lee Cronin, that script was filled with sound, sonic descriptions, so much sound put into pretty much every scene in the movie. It was quite overwhelming and inspiring. As you've mentioned it there, let's get on to Evil Dead Rise, which, folks, is out in cinemas on April the 21st. So do go and see it. Um, You joined a franchise that was already existing. So what challenges did that hold for you? For me, Evil Dead was something that I grew up with. Like it's like my first favorite director as a child was Hitchcock. And then when I became a teenager, I think I kind of sneaked into the more hardcore horror stuff. So then I started watching Evil Dead. And I especially remember how the my VHS copy of Evil Dead 2 was totally ruined because <laughs> I had watched it so yes. many times. Um, it's, the tape simply crumpled. <laughs> like, But yeah, so when I, I got the call to do this film, I, of course, like 
had had this history of Evil Dead and also of the sound of Evil Dead. There are some very specific, iconic sounds of Evil Dead. So it made me very happy that one of the first things that happened when I got the job was that I actually got a hard drive with digitized versions of all the original sound effects for the first two films. Amazing. So it wasn't just like from it wasn't just the mixes from the films it was the actual sound recordings the actual quarter inch sound recordings oh, wow. a lot of them done by star Bruce Campbell and director Sam Raimi so it was like you heard the the tape kind of rolling scary scream take 1 scary scream take 2 so it was all these different sounds that I could recognize so many of those, like they were so prolific and something that really like it, it, it just blew my mind. And it was amazing that I was able to build on that foundation. So several of those sounds are actually in the new movie. I mean, we also recorded lots and lots of new sounds. And of course, I mean, the new film is an Atmos. It's a very different kind of sonic beast. Yes, absolutely. But there's several like old sound effects in there that if you're really like an evil dead sound nerd you can uh, you'll have fun in the cinema (laughs) i'll be definitely going to see it it'll be an evil dead effect spotters paradise how creative did you have to get when recording these sounds what what lengths did you have to go to there were so many crazy sounds we needed to record but there's a there's a special sound of like an an elevator wire that is creaking and falling apart. That was one of the fun ones where we got this big, long, long, long elastic band that we put up in, this was during COVID. So it was kind of, it was, I mean, we couldn't just go out and record lots of stuff. So we did a lot of things. Uh, me and my assistant, Michael Milson, we did a lot of like home recordings and as the film takes place in an apartment, a lot of the stuff could be recorded in our apartments, in our houses. And we, we put up this long, long, long elastic band through a living room, like many, many meters, and kind of did all these weird, like, if someone had passed outside and saw that, they would be thinking like, okay, what kind of weird gymnastic thing is happening in there? But that's the sound of this elevator cable. But there's lots of those uh, crazy sounds in there and we had a lot of fun what's your favorite approach to making sound effects for for well any sound effects but particularly for horror is it to take something that's organic and try and change it yeah exactly i mean i'm really a big fan of using organic sounds and recording like sounds in the real world and then doing all kinds of things to change it around and modulating them and all these things but I mean, I've, for this film, just like kept on recording and recording and recording. And like often a lot of the sounds you hear in the film are different organic sounds put together in a way where it's like the Book of the Dead, for example. I mean, we found a, some really old books at the library, like 100 years old books that had the sound of like old, old paper and just like the sound of the, uh, the sound of an old book. But then put on top of that, we had like different small animal screams. We went to the zoo and recorded different animals. We bought like skin of a pig at a butcher. Uh, and like we, 
that sound like on top of it. And um, then a big thing actually in the film also is um, different vocal recordings, which is a, a thing that's always been big in the, the dead world. Like when these deadites, these zombies like appear, they always have these weird voices. So we did a lot of voice recordings and um, we recorded this uh, Danish singer who's actually a pop singer, but she can do all these crazy things. She's called Lumor, uh, Jenny, Jenny Rosander. And she has this weird voice that can do... And I recorded like just like, for example, gasping through her throat. Worked really well together with the flapping of the pages of the book. So there's all these kind of organic sounds put together in a way where it becomes um, like scary in a way, because I think you can, you can no longer tell what these sounds are, but it's, it's organic sounds, but put together in a very, well, let's just say bizarre way. (laughs) Yes. We like bizarre. You were talking earlier about conveying to the actors that they were going to be hearing sounds and also talking to the director about sounds. How do you find the language to convey this? It's 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 always difficult to talk about sound. It is really like something that, I mean, it's it's weird how the vocabulary is so focused on the visual side, and um, but that's also where like having a director like Lee Cronin, who was like so focused on sound, it just meant that. You can tell by the way that he's directing the actors, the pauses, the breaks, the the way that they're looking in the direction where a sound will be coming. I mean, those things are just, I mean, those things happen because he is listening while he's, he's directing. He had put a lot of these sounds that he was imagining into words. And a lot of those words, I mean, when you read those words, it's often, I mean, it's made up words because like a lot of sound effects, when you start kind of putting them into words, it's kind of like, wow, <laughs> it looks a little bit like a an old comic or like a, a, a children's book or something like that. Yes. Um, um, so it's hard to convey those things in writing and in in about like in in words but that's also actually why on this film i started working on the sound almost immediately uh, at the same time uh, as the picture editing was starting up so i worked on this film for eight months um i started up when they were starting up picture editing and that meant that we were constantly sending files back and forth and when Lee had an idea for a sound, we could immediately try it out. But there were also all these scenes that were already so based around sound. So it it was just very evident that we really had to start a, start with sound very, very early. When you're sitting there picture editing, and then, I mean, you can't really, like, talk about the sounds, how they will influence the picture. Edit. You have to try it out. And that's really what we did here. Like, we were able to get this um, like really great long schedule where me and my assistant Mikkel were kind of working on it for such a long time um, to kind of get get all these ideas tried out. 
instead of uh, just talking about ideas, then we were able to like turn the ideas into sound. And then it's much easier to talk about it because then you suddenly have like a reference. One sound is played back in the room and there's five people in there. The five people will have each of their own interpretation of this sound. So by starting out early, you also very early build up a language with Lee and like the director and the picture editor and the composer who also was a part of it very early. So this was a great way of kind of getting to build a language about the sound of the film. You talked earlier about your sounds being musical and the blurred edges between music and effects. How important is it for you to have that dialogue with the composer? I think it's incredibly important to have a very close collaboration between sound and music. And I find it quite sad in a way that on many, like, especially big US movies, but also over here in Europe, that you hear about, like, these, like, sound and music kind of, like, running in parallel but never really like the composer and sound designer like they're never really talking to each other and like then they meet up at the mix and then they try to make it all work together but for me i mean like the earlier the better the way that you can make sound and music integrate is so important and on on Evil Dead Rise, then um, we had uh, the Irish composer Stephen McKeon doing the music, and he also did the music for Lee's previous film, The Hole in the Ground, which meant that the two of them already had a language about music. So when Stephen then was part of the process early, then like there was, it felt like a very safe place where we could really be creative and not worry about like, okay, so what would this person do? What would this person do? We would just talk together. And Stephen in the, in the, like in the beginning, he kind of built up um, a kind of a temp music track of things that he thought felt right for the scenes. Um, And that meant that I constantly was listening to what his ideas were and he heard my sketches. So he was constantly listening to those and then, like, later on when he started composing properly, like, you could really tell that his his compositions were built on my sounds, and then I built my sounds around his music. So there was this really wonderful interplay between sound and music. I thought that was also very evident in the cave where the music and sound design were so integrated that you couldn't really tell what was sound design, what was music, couldn't see where one started, one stopped. Something I also love to do with the composer, and we also did that on the cave, is like exchanging sounds. So on the cave, Matthew Herbert, the composer, like he got a bunch of my sound effects that he then used almost like abstract ambiences as part of the music. And on Evil Dead Rise, Stephen was also constantly listening to my sounds. And uh, there was a moment during the, the, the sound design process where like Stephen was going to come by and I, I had this idea for a sequence I mean, Evil Dead Rise is a film where the madness just keeps on getting, it's just builds and builds and builds and you're like several points, you're thinking now it can't get any crazier and then it gets crazier. 
And I, there was a moment where I felt, okay, now we really have to do something very, really crazy with the sound and music. And I took Steven's score and I distorted it, like really making it like, like really dirty and really like distorted. And then Steven was going to come by and I was thinking, oh my God, it's going to be like, oh, no. then he heard it and he was like, whoa, this is how it should be. Like, Peter, you have to do more of that. And that kind of enthusiasm, that kind of creative kind of like openness was amazing. It's just like really, really like inspiring creative collaboration. Do you feel that you've had more free reign in this movie than you have had in previous ones? Um, I mean, time is always a big factor in like in our work when we do sound for movies. I mean, sometimes we're incredibly like the deadlines are incredibly tight. We have very little time and we have to do so much work in very little time. On this film, I had, I mean, really great schedule, these eight months of work, which meant that, I mean, if you have more time, then you have more time to experiment. If you have less time, then you need to be very precise immediately. You kind of, like, if you have a very tight deadline, then you need to know that what you deliver really works. And which means that, in a way, you go back to some routines or, like, you you you, you make the safe choices. And the thing about having all this time... Um, I mean, which didn't mean we weren't super busy all the time because there was so much work to do, but, but there was time to experiment, time to play around with things, time to get crazy ideas and try them out. And that meant that there was just more experimentation on this film than anything I've ever tried before because we had this schedule, we had this flexibility. I mean, some of the key scenes in the film, I think we tried out like sometimes up to like 10 different versions of a sequence, like with quite elaborate sound design, just to see, okay, so what happens to this scene if we do it only with sound? What happens to this scene if we do it mostly with music, but with sound like put in in specific places? What happens to this scene if if the music only comes in like here and here, but otherwise it's sound? What What happens if we make this very quiet what happens if we make this very loud? What happens? Like, there was all these versions, which was amazing because then you could really play around with things. And for me, that was really the, the great benefit of having a schedule like that, the room for experimentation. Quite, if only that was always the case. You talked earlier about the dynamics of the piece, the loud, the quiet. Um, how important is silence? Silence is so important. And I mean, it's also quite scary, actually. Silence can be very scary because we're not used to silence. Like in, in our everyday world, like when we, there's never really like total silence. We're always surrounded by some kind of sound. So in a film, if you really like make everything very, very quiet, you're like, you, you will have people a little bit on edge and we do that trick several times in Evil Dead Rise. But there's actually also, I mean, some of my favorite sound moments in the film are moments where we take away sound completely and just have like zero sound and just it from kind of goes from often very, very loud things and then totally like totally zero 
and then sound comes back. And those kind of dynamics, I find that incredibly powerful. And so, so for me on this film, like silence is both, or quietness are both, uh, we, we use that in places where we want to create this kind of like tension, but we also use silence in specific places to kind of really build these dynamics. Um, the film just premiered at South by Southwest and some a reviewer talked about staccato sound design, which I actually thought was quite precise because that's what we do several places. Uh, Lee Cronin has this idea of sound where every moment has to have a significant sound. So instead of just having like a total wallpaper of sound all the time, Lee wants every little thing to have a specific sound. And that means that you have to be very kind of specialized about every sound you put into there. Everything has so many textures and layers, but often like in very kind of precise, punctual ways. And that means that there's automatically this dynamic between like something that is really layered and like hitting your heart. And then comes these silences between these very, very textured layered points of bursts of sound almost. And it, it was a great way of avoiding this kind of wall of sound that sometimes in horror movies, like you can have so much sound and it can become way too overwhelming and it it clutters up the track and it means that you're not really being engaged with the film but lee's concept of using these very specific sound points or like punctual sounds all the time it really meant that uh, the sound design of the film became very very dynamic i'm really really looking forward to seeing this in a good dolby atmos cinema <laughs> When you get to the mix stage, what sort of involvement do you like to have if you're not the re-recording mixer? For a project like this, where I've been working on it for so much time, I always find it really great to have um, a re-recording mixer coming in to kind of be the fresh ear on the mixing stage. On this film, we had um, my dialogue supervisor, Garrett Farrell, he mixed uh, dialogue and uh, music. And he was kind of the, a part of the project from quite early on as well. He did some early temp mixes with me, preview mixes. And then um, he was kind of managing all the dialogue and did an amazing job also with a lot of the manipulation of voices and so on. So he mixed dialogue, but we already kind of like, at that point we had like a, vocabulary or like a, i mean we really like had a common language about what we wanted to do with that then the new set of ears on the stage was the spanish mixer gabriel Gutierrez, who um, has been mixing a lot of great spanish horror movies during the last 10 15 years and he's he's so experienced in mixing and he's so precise um I had never worked with Gabriel before. We had some really nice chats before the mix, but I was like, okay, so how is this going to be? Because quite often the people I work with in the mix are people I work with for many years and I know them very well. Gabriel was like really a new set of ears, but like in just a couple of days during pre-mixing effects, like 
we were just totally in sync. And it was often so that I was kind of such, okay, uh, could we kind of distort that element a little more? And he was then already like pushing the button. Uh, so I was like, what we did was that I was kind of sitting in the middle. Garrett was on the right and, and Gabriel was on the left. And we were kind of sitting like that all the time. Lee was in the back being the conductor. But yeah, so it was really very much a team effort. Those fresh ears in the mix are invaluable, I must say. Yes, I completely agree. I like as a mixer coming in and being new to it and hearing it more like the viewer will. The fresh ears who don't care about how many days <laughs> yes. or weeks you spend on like creating a certain sound, because if it's working, then it's all about if it's working for the audience. And that's also very important. In everyday life, when you're wandering around in Copenhagen, what are the sounds that really interest you? What catches your attention? I really like sounds that like are a little bit weird or different in a way. Uh, I feel that there's, I mean, there's so many sounds in our everyday life that are just the same and the same and like things are built so that they sound the same. But I often like when things are a little bit broken and like I, I, I've several times been recording like a fridge in the supermarket because it's broken and then it sounds weird or like recording a door that is creaking or, and then I also often feel that there's something fascinating about sounds coming from far away. And when you, you can't really tell what they are but they almost, but just by the way that they are reverberating or like like they have this weird delay coming from like quite a distance, they suddenly become something else. And I also find that really, really like interesting. And I, I've been recording lots of sounds where I'm I mean, just recording in the street and you hear a weird kind of howl. And I mean, I, I don't know what that sound is, but it sounds really cool. And I love that. I mean, in um, ambiences as well that, I mean, that you have, like when you do backgrounds for a movie, then that there's the elements that kind of tell you where you are and so on, but also that there's an element in there that creates sometimes a tension, but also just like creates a feeling of there's something there that somehow is fascinating as a viewer because you hear something you're not quite used to hearing and it's like it's almost like it's enigmatic sound in there and i feel you can do that in a in in evil dead rise there's a lot of that where it's really creepy stuff but you can also do it in a in a much more beautiful setting and it's like almost like an ambience or like um i often use voices or choir or like breaths as part of winds for example because it kind of creates this feeling of oh there's something there it's it's a bit magical and i love doing things like that is there a radical difference for the process of sound design for a horror movie like evil dead rise to sound design for any other genre well um of course, there's differences because you kind of make you're you're making a horror film and it's very sound is very very upfront. I mean, sound is so kind of like it should hit you in a physical way. 
But then at the same time, when we did The Cave, for example, one of uh, the director's ideas for that film was that it should be very visceral. You should really feel the sound. You should feel how it feels to be below ground and the whole thing is rattling and like... um, And it feels like you're surrounded by this environment, this very claustrophobic environment. So, I mean... There's differences in the way that in, in Evil Dead, like you really have to like it's it's attacking you. But then the I mean, I feel that often in also in documentaries, you can have quite layered ambiences, backgrounds, like and you can also work subjectively with sound for sure in documentaries. It just has to feel right. I, I call it emotional authenticity. I don't believe that we can really say, okay, objectively, this is how it sounds in this environment. Because, like, any one person would come into an environment and hear something different. But you can kind of make it feel so that it fits with the emotion of the character and make it feel so that it fits with their world. And I'm doing that no matter what kind of movie I'm doing. But the world of... Evil Dead Rise is for sure much more aggressive and like <laughs> scary than a lot of the documentaries I do. But the, I think the mindset, the, f- the fundamental approach to how to use sound as a storyteller and creating environments, both external environments, but also internalized environments, subjective sounds. I mean, for me, that is a big thing, no matter what kind of movie I'm doing. Finally, what advice would you have for young sound designers or mixers just starting out on their journey? The great thing right now, I feel, is that as a sound person, it's getting much easier now to do sound. I mean, my 11-year-old daughter just did her first small short film on her phone and I was thinking, okay, so should should I help you with some sounds and like should I should I do a little bit of like sound in my studio and so on? And then she was like, no, dad, no, 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 I'm just doing that on the phone. Don't worry about it. And I was like, okay, you're just doing that on the phone. Um, there's so many tools now where you can do really like do a lot of sound editing and play around with sound with very easy to get software which is amazing and i think playing around with sound for yourself on different projects or different videos or like things like that is very important then it's important to record a lot of sounds because i mean one thing is that you can start building a library of sounds that you you like but it's also just the way that you listen to the world when you record because i think that changes the way that you're listening And it's a very important part of kind of tuning your ears into becoming a creative tool that you can use. And nowadays, I mean, you can record sounds on your phone, but you can also like get some quite good hard disk recorders for, I mean, very few money. Some of the sounds in Evil Dead Rise were recorded on some small hard drive recorders. Those are definitely things I would think would be a great place to start. And then, of course, also watch your favorite movies again, but maybe watch them without picture. Listen to them and find out, okay, so 
what is it you like about these films? How do they sound? How do the how do they use sound? And how do they build soundscapes that fascinate you? Um, I think those three things would be my main advice. Peter, thank you so much for joining me on the AMPS podcast today. I'm sure we're all going to be rushing out now to see Evil Dead Rise when it comes out on April the 21st, particularly now that we've got the inside track on the sound. Thank you so much. Thank you. And beware. Beware. Oh, there's a, <laughs> there's a warning to everybody. Beware. <laughs> So thank you, Martin and Peter, for taking over the podcast to talk all about Evil Dead Rise, which is in cinemas now. If you have any ideas about what you'd like to hear on future episodes of the podcast, then you can reach out to us at at ampspodcast or at ampspodcast at gmail.com. And if you'd like to learn more about amps, including how to join the association, then visit our website at amps.net. Yeah, thanks for listening. Are you looking for more audio-related podcasts to listen to? Well, we're part of the Audio Podcast Alliance, featuring a hand-picked selection of the very best podcasts about sound. Be sure to hear the latest episodes from our friends in the community at audiopodcast.org.